Welcome folks to episode 52 of That Reminds Me Of. Today we're talking about Last Night in Soho, directed by Edgar, what's his name? Wright. Right. Edgar Wright and starring Thomas and McKenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy, Diana Rigg, Terence Stamp and a whole lot of others. It's a lovely thing. How are you, Baron? I'm great, Doc. I'm great. And for those people out there watching this or listening to this, this is the show where we watch a show or a film or a TV show or whatever it is. We talk about it and when we talk about the things that we were reminded of while we were watching that show, there's plenty of spoilers. But stick with us. Here for the second time in our beautiful new studio with the maestro in the background, Salvatore. <laughs> hey, Sal. <laughs> uh, and, and we're loving it. We, we had a little bit of mic problem, so we've got our, our backup mic here. But other than that, I think we're good to go. Good to go. So we've got these, these great new mics, which aren't working yet. But next time, they will be. So we're backing up with the, um, the old mic, but um, this, is, this is a future project for next yep. time. You want to have room for improvement. Yes, absolutely. Speaking of improvement, is that a segue? Probably a bad one. What's been happening in your life? Before you answer, I think I know there's been Evie, one of your films, the Aussie dinosaur film, yep. has been growing great guns. Just tell me about what's happened since the last episode. Yeah, yeah. We, well, um, I think we've, we've had an update on Evie every episode for a little while because it's just had a good run, I think. Yeah. But uh, the latest uh, Cambridge Short Film Festival in the UK, it'll be playing there. Um, we've won our third film, uh, Best Film Festival Award, which is great. And uh, we've been nominated for a WA Screen Award in um, Western Australia, which is where the film was made. So, uh -huh. um, And that was for Best Set Direction, Makeup Effects and uh, Costume Design. So so good people that worked on that part of the film are, are being recognised, which is awesome. That's the, the heartfelt one with all the other success. That's the one that... Yeah. you know, get you here. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. That's right. So, um, yeah, no, it's been good. It's been good. And yeah, well what deserved. about... Thanks, thanks, Doc. What, uh, what about you? What have you been up to? Well, I'm continuing my commitment to talk about what I'm reading. Oh, good. Uh, so I have been rereading. Do you remember we talked about Bly Manor mm -hmm. and how that, that's based on the turn of the screw? Yes. Yeah. I hadn't read the turn of the screw then, but I read it immediately after, and now I'm rereading it. You've read it after we did that episode and you're reading it again. I'm rereading it. Why is oh, that? I'm actually re-listening to it. So ah. I'm listening to the audiobook version narrated by Emma Tom Thompson. Ooh, uh, that's good. But I'm doing it that's in good. the original, to try and mimic the original serialized form. Yeah. So it was released, you know, you might get, get an, a few chapters one week and then a few chapters the next and there'd be cliffhangers and you'd have to wait to see what happened. Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to relive that experience. That's great. So, yeah, and I only read it like less than a year, year ago, but I'm rereading it just for fun. Wow, wow. And Emma Thompson, that would be a good performance. Has to be great. She's, she's wonderful. When it's in audio only, I think you really focus on the talent and just the way she articulates. Oh, that's, that's great. Um, I've actually been broadening my listening slash reading as mm. well. I don't know if I told you that I was making my way through the Bible, which is 95 hours long. So ah. I've been doing that, which is a weird thing that I just thought I would, would have a crack at because, you know, the Bible's one of these giant 
things in the world, right? Yeah. And who whoever listens to the Bible or reads it that much, unless you're a Christian and you're doing it every Sunday, which I'm not. So I just thought I'd give it a crack. And it's hard slog, i got to say. Where, where are you up to? Because I've, I've gone on the same journey oh. and I stopped at, um, oh, where was it? When, when they start to talk about all the rules and all this sort mm. of stuff, it stops being a story and starts being oh, yeah. like a bit of um, Scott Morrison policy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the thing that kills me is that they love getting into the, um, the list of who begat who, right? Yeah. And you think you're done. And this, they go off into a lovely little story that, you know, has some morals in there that you can kind of pick up on. And then they go back to the to the lineage thing and it mm. keeps happening. It's very frustrating because nobody wants to hear that. It must have been super important at some point to to draw that line from from Adam. And I don't know how they came about this, but from Adam to whoever, you know, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I think I think I think you've got as far as I have, actually. Yeah. So you've got. Good time. I've got to ages come. to go. Yeah, I know I've got ages to go. But I reckon, yeah, you've you've probably got a few speed humps. But I think it gets better. Yeah, there's some good stories in there. Yeah, I recently bought a bought a Bible and <laughs> a, a new Bible. This is not what the show's meant to be about. No, uh, no. <laughs> that has it um, kind of in the not the original, but some old school oh, type. Oh, yeah. So it kind of looks like a, yeah. I'm never going to read. It's kind it. of a poses Bible. Like you can look through it every now and again and. It's, Flick through it, put on the coffee table. People go, oh, that's a nice Bible. It's a look-through Bible. It's a yes. look-through Bible. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Anyway, yeah. from Bibles to, to, I don't think there's anything biblical about this movie, the Bible. No, it's definitely off, off the theme of what this movie's all about, that's for sure. Mm. But this movie's Last Night in Soho. Mm-hmm. And I think we were both fairly excited to watch this. It really ticked a few uh, boxes yes. in, in, in theory. Yeah, well, one of them, Edgar Wright. Mm. Edgar Wright's a great director, and I have enjoyed, I think, everything that I, he's made that I've seen, which I think is, I think I've seen almost all of it. Mm. All, all of his catalogue, I think so. Um, he's a fantastic director. He's, his work is full of style and flair. It's always technically amazing. Mm. And uh, he's usually pulling off some crazy music to visual, uh, for, you know, thing. You know, there's there's always loads of style jammed in there it's not just straight storytelling at all so that was a big one for me like i i just had to see it for that alone yeah huge fan of baby driver and i know that had sort of mixed reception but i thought it was great um and then also it ticks the genre box as well Mm. just at a glance it looks like a horror film or a psychological thriller at the least genre is a good a, a good word to throw in because yeah. it's a little bit genre bending, genre twisting, or perhaps just halfway through genre t- switching. Yep. Um, but no, I, I love him too. I, I've never, you know, been a Edgar Wright fanboy or anything, but just looking at his catalogue, I haven't seen them all, mm. but like, do they call it the Cornetto trilogy or some, some such? I think there's some, some word for that. Really? That Shaun of the Dead, the Simon Pegg yeah, yeah. movies, but they're... I'm not aware of the Cornetto trilogy. I've heard that reference somewhere. So I'm I'm either going to sound great or sound like an idiot. Yeah, great. Uh, That's what we do here. That is what we do here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, yes, style, pace, energy. Yep. Uh, I think he's renowned for that, for just keeping you in there and humour. Yep. Humour and narrative drive and all this stuff. He's 
yeah. is great. And and then and then you see all the sort of the sexy sort of style <laughs> that is promised yeah. in this film. Yeah. And you get a bit excited about it all. You know what? You just mentioned sexy style and thinking about the trailer and what that promises. I hadn't seen the trailer, but oh, keep really? going. Well, it just reminded me of one of our very first episodes just now when you mentioned it during Myth. Okay. Um, sexy style. Sexy style. And is, is it one that disappointed? Very much so. Yeah, it was hugely disappointing. But it had this great trailer and we both went, we have to see that. It was She Dies Tomorrow. No. No, but that was, that <laughs> that was, was another one. one. It was Blue Orchid. Blue Orchid. Blue Orchid, yeah. Remember it had this really sexy trailer and we both were like, Sexy trailer. Sexy trailer. We're suckers for sexy trailers. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. It had like psychedelic lights, like blue and pink and yep. stuff. A little bit like whoa, this one. Whoa. Yeah. Scantily clad women. Yeah. Um, Sucker. Dangerous, like a man in, out of his depths in Love some it. sort of dangerous, uh, I don't know, eyes wide shut scenario. Yeah, we were, yeah. We were, we were drawn in. <laughs> you sort of think you're, you're, you're unique yeah. with that sort of drawing, but I think we're... We're two of many, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, absolutely. so it drew us in. Um, I'm going to go straight into synopsis. What please do, do please do. And what, while you're doing that, I just wanted to say, like, um, there actually are a lot of music videos in here from Edgar Wright that I didn't really know about. But the main films um, mm. before Last Night in Soho, Baby Driver, The World's End. I didn't love The World's End, but, you know, it's in there. Um, Scott Pilgrim versus The World was great. I never saw... Don't, but that's just two minutes long, so that's probably why. Um, Hot Fuzz, amazing. Mm. And then you go into Shaun of the Dead and a bunch of other shorts and the TV show Spaced, which was a classic. Spaced, yeah. Yeah. I think we also mentioned Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Um, probably to do with something like Bad Boys for Life. Is that yeah. Right? Yeah, that? that's right. We, we, it, did, it was, we did a it was to do with the, the sort of jumping through the air and shooting. Uh, and <laughs> like right. the point break stuff that's in Hot Fuzz and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And Bad Boys never lived up to Hot Fuzz. <laughs> right. <laughs> controversial. Anyway, but controversial. Yeah. Uh, so a synopsis that we'll steal off the internet. So Last last Night in Soho, that's the yep. film. An aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer. However, the glamour is... <laughs> You're messing up my rhythm. Sorry. However, I just, I just love an IMDb synopsis. Go on. <laughs> However, the glamour is not all it appears to be, and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something far darker. Mm. Don't you love it how there's such variation in these write-ups? Like it's either gives you this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Yeah. Or it gives you this vague thing that doesn't really tell <laughs> yeah. you anything at all. Yeah. A young fashion designer has a bad time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> An ambiguously bad time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> An ambiguously bad time. Ooh, what could that be? Ooh, yeah. This one has like Sounds splintered sexy. and shattered and yeah. Yeah, okay. that's cool. Mm. All right. Well, I don't think we need to pass judgment on this um, this one, this synopsis. That's fine. Can I confess? Yeah. We're, we're talking Bible and stuff, so I'll, I'll just go to confession. Please, please confess. So I watched this film. And I'm drinking Blasphemy by... Wow, okay. So there you go. I'm drinking Bible my usual. related drinks. Okay. Uh, I watched this film about a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago. Mm. I preloaded on vodka Red Bulls, so I was half cut when I got to the cinema. Great. Um, went to Palace Cinema, Pentridge. 
who I'm sure one day will be a sponsor of this, <laughs> this podcast. One day. One day will be a sponsor of this podcast. <laughs> and obviously got a, a full wine, an epic or double feature, whatever they call it. Yeah. And a popcorn. Yeah. Halfway through. Obviously. Needed to have a bathroom break yep. and went out and got another wine and popcorn. Wow. And I was smashed. <laughs> and and I got home yeah. somehow. This does not sound like you at all. I forgot the whole film. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I yeah, okay. forgot the whole film and I've been worried about it ever since. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I saw it again last night, so I've seen it twice and I was sober last night. And so. Okay, well, well, I'm really curious now about what a second viewing uh, when the first one is, you know, pretty smashed and then the second mm. one is, was it, were you totally sober the second time around? Totally sober. Wow. So I've had a good viewing of it now. Okay. But, but it's that, that might as well have been my first. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Well, you know what? I can understand that because there are lots of there are lots of twists and turns and ins and outs in this film, and if you're not paying attention, it would be very confusing. Mm. Or if you're not able to pay attention, it would be very confusing. I think definitely. So start start this off. What yeah. Did, what did you think? So I really really enjoyed this film. I would say I enjoyed it right up until a certain point in the last act uh, a lot. I was with it all the way. And then at a certain point in that last act, it started to get very messy, I thought. Mm. I, I think it's the type of film that it is that is the reason why it went down that path. Because there was because it's got that whole psychological horror mm. thing and there's so much style and there's so much going on, it just had to at some point kind of unravel a little bit. Uh, and I think Edgar Wright did his absolute best to then pull it all back together at the end, but I never quite got back to exactly where, it, the, you know, what I was enjoying about it for like the first 80% of the film. Yeah, I'd have a similar response. I, I don't think it's you can put it down to just the type of film. Like I, I think there's no need for it to have unraveled. Yes, that's true. No, you're uh, right. You're and, right. Uh, I'll perhaps have something to say about that in the reminds me of because mm. I think there's a there's another film that I can compare it to yeah. that I think has a similar objective that takes a different you know direction and does it better. I I also have a, a film to reference like that. It might be the same one. It that would be is. amazing if it is the same. one. I think it's bound to be actually. Mm, okay, we'll see. But every time we say that, it's usually not, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, that's good. That's good. Um, well. Let's talk about some of the things that we enjoyed then, because I think we—I think you're saying you enjoyed the, at least the first good chunk of it, right? Yeah, I'm going to say just to put my cards on the table. When you mm. consider everything about it, yeah, I still really, really enjoyed it, and yeah. I, I respected the director beforehand, and I still still love his work. Yeah, so I don't think it's a failure as far as oh my goodness, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. I think it's still a success. Mm -hmm. So any any negatives. You know, it's just com just some commentary, but I'll still see his next film, and I enjoyed this. Uh, let's start from the beginning. Yeah, like I think the opening scene had quite a good impact on me, on me. I really enjoyed seeing Thomas and Mackenzie, mm. who I don't think you remembered, but she starred in Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, um, as the the Jewish girl hiding in the under the stairs or the whatever. sister. Right? Yeah, she was the one sister. Pre pretending, yeah, to, pretending be the to be sister. sister. Yeah. And I think we were equally enamored with her. Yes. At she the was time. great. And great in that film. And she's great in this film as well. She's really great. Yeah. I've since seen her in old 
in um, in oh, Knights. I, I haven't seen Old. Okay. It's really good. We could yeah. almost do an episode on Old. Yeah, that's been on my list for a while. And I think the only thing that stopped me from watching it a few times mm. is that it has this these really mixed ratings. And so I've a couple times gone to put it on and gone, ah, maybe not tonight, you know. So, all right, I have, I have to see it. I won't spoil it for you. Yeah. Um, the mixed ratings are probably are probably reasonable for it to be mixed. Yep. I wouldn't want to predict if you'll love it or hate it, mm. but it, it's it's an interesting concept and yeah. an interesting watch. So that's actually related to this film. I think what you mm. were just saying about Edgar Wright and and thinking that he's done something pretty interesting with this film and um, you still respect him and it's great. I feel the same way, and what you know, one of the things I think that is great about this film and directors like Edgar Wright is that it's a swing for the park, you know what I mean? Or out of the park, whatever that saying is. It's like he's having a swing. I just don't think there's anything better than that. You know what I mean? Mm. Like I think that's better than nailing it in some respects. You oh. know what I mean? He's having yeah. a go. And there aren't you don't see films like this come along very often, or at least you don't see them of this quality come along very often. And I think it's really just interesting filmmaking, you know? So I'm, I would rather see this than something that's safe and a bit bland any day. That is so well said because because I, I think of all the things that annoyed me about it towards the latter end mm-hmm. and yet how is it that all those things exist yeah. and yet I still left the theatre with a warm, fuzzy feeling thinking yeah. I love what this guy's yeah. having a crack at. Yeah. He's had a swing and yeah. you've got to respect it. Yeah. 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 yeah, well said. But, yeah, the, the, I think the opening was great. I love seeing Thomason, like she... She entered with a bang, doing all this, yeah. this dancing, and I think it was a really evocative portrayal of her character, this young chick who's at that cusp between childhood and adulthood. You get her vibe of wanting to be a designer and her dreams, and she's tough. Yep. Um, I thought it was a really good opening. Did you? It's a great opening. And if you go back to Baby Driver, mm. which is one of the previous films by Ed, Edgar Wright, his protagonist in that film has a similar opening and I think it's a little signature of his now, mm. but it does make you love that person, that protagonist. And that's kind of one of the big save the cat style tick boxes, right? It's yeah, like yeah. how do you get your audience to love this protagonist yeah. right up front, like right at the beginning. And the way he does it is he gets them to sing and dance into the film and he gets them to do it with such style that you're just like, oh, this person's cool. Like, I just want to see what they've got, what they've got to say, what they're going to do next. You know? Yeah, you love her, don't you? You, you, you love just, her straight away, straight away. Yeah, and, and you kind of know who she is as well from it, which is the same thing with the guy in Baby Driver. You, you get a real sense of of his style and who he is right off the, off the get go. That's good filmmaking yeah. and good good acting. I, I was I was mm. struck by her performance there because she's yeah. she's not a, a child. I think she's twenty one or something. So she's she's not a a youngster, but mm. she's still. She hasn't got many big films in in her catalogue yet. Yeah. Uh, and here she was at the centre of it right at the start and held our gaze yes. beautifully. And she was so reminiscent of Audrey Hepburn was in the, you know, uh, mm, on the posters and call, stuff. yeah. She really had that vibe about her. Yep. I mean, the whole thing is sort of a hark back to the, to the 60s, isn't it, really? 60s or 70s? 60s. Oh, it's the 60s. and 60s, yeah. We may talk about soundtrack. Yeah. But I loved, I think the song was The Searchers. Um, what was the song? Uh, Don't Throw Your Love Away. Yeah. I love that song. The Searchers are like one of the Mersey beat 
uh, bands of from Liverpool in the 60s that came through with the Beatles, awesome. Jerry the Pacemakers and that sort of stuff. Yeah. I'm losing you on, on 60s. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's my lane. My eyes are glazing over. No, Can no. You tell no. That? Yeah, I could. <laughs> no, that's my lane. So it really, yeah. Yeah, that brought me in. Yeah. But speaking of music, yeah. um, one thing that thrilled me, but also in hindsight didn't thrill me, yeah. was when the record player, she, she knocked it and it, the needle kept going and it went, yeah. the record stopped. Sort yeah. Of. It felt as though that was a trigger point for a um, the end of space time or something. Something right. had changed. Yeah, yeah. And I had high hopes that maybe that was a momentous moment in the film that we would look back on mm. and think that's great. But it didn't. But no, it didn't yeah. really eventuate. I mean, the record player is, is a theme throughout the whole, and the records are a theme throughout the whole film. Yeah, but that particular moment, sort of just a kind of a style thing. It's not really, doesn't mm. really inform the story. So I think we've talked about how great she is. Mm. Uh, the other actress, you got a name there? Uh, Anna Taylor-Joy. Anya Taylor-Joy. Yeah, she's great too. You know, I know her from a bunch of horror films. She's got horror chops as, a, as an actress and it was nice to see her in this and I just thought she was great, you know, really good job. And, and the two of them, mm. the, those two women sort of, as alter egos or sort of, you know, reflections of each other was a really cool idea. Hasn't she got... Great casting. Just presence. Yeah, um, big time. And she, I think I first saw her in The Witch and that'd be one of the horror films you're thinking about. Right, yeah. Yep, I think so. The Witch and um, there's been a couple. But yeah, The Witch is, is the probably the, the big one. Yeah. yeah. She, yeah. Was, she was great in that and also The Queen's Gambit more recently. Yes, that that's right. Yeah, which has really launched her. Yeah. For sure. And so... Talking about reflections, yes, that's a huge theme in this, and it's handled beautifully. Mm. I mean, the whole all of the sequences where um, uh, Eloise starts having these dreams. Eloise being Thomas and Mackenzie, the yes, main. the main yep. character, and and next thing you know, she's sort of in the sixties, running through the streets of of London and into bars and nightclubs and every reflective surface is either her or it's the other girl who's her sort of alter ego yeah it's just it's handled so beautifully what's what, what's the character name of the other girl sandy sandy so it's eloise so alexandra and um, alexandra and she plays on alexandra whether it's that's alex right. or sandy or that's right or yeah. alexi or whatever all these yeah different versions are i i think that phase of the film so you've got the almost the first act where it's the coming of age and, you know, going into the big city and the roommates with the, the mean girl roommates who are fairly forgettable. But yeah. And then she, she gets a, a room of her own and she loves it. And then of course there's the, the entrance, the entry into that 1960s world. That whole phase of the film is just splendid. Yeah. It's just really, really beautiful. And I, and I think that, I loved it so much that that it stayed with me till the end, even though some other things disappointed me. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things Sal and I were talking about earlier today, um, we were talking about the film, even though we're not meant to be until we're in the episode, um, we were just talking about the pace of it, this thing. Mm. And the pacing is just, it's incredible. Like it, it doesn't let up yeah. from the beginning to the end. And it does it in such a way that, even though you're watching a mystery unravel and there's a lot of layers to this thing, you're just never bored because the pace is just 
it's just it's always moving it's always moving there's always new things being revealed the music's always pumping mm-hmm. you know she's always running from one place to the next it's just so so well edited and so well handled and put together yeah it's a it's a technical feat really that's interesting yeah because that, and that covers a lot of flaws mm. as well and i think i think we can look back at the tape i reckon i mentioned pacing with with regard to his earlier films before yeah. you do start the journey and yeah. get taken down the river, you know, without having to try and you just yeah. get this beautiful journey without having to do much, no, too absolutely. much thought or anything. You just get taken along. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. It's one of the things he, he does really well. And it really remade, it, it made me think of um, Danny Boyle, who's one of my other really favourite I know you love Danny British, Boyle. Yeah. Danny Boyle and probably Luc Besson a little bit as well. Uh, you know, both of them have this real handle on pacing, music that goes along with the um the vision that you that you're seeing and though that they're not it's not just a backing track it's like they yeah. are intertwined so perfectly and it's a it's 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 a, it basically the music helps the edit along in such a in such a way and informs it almost i think it's, it's kind of cool it's a cool style and that's that's excellent accessible filmmaking isn't it yeah so yeah. you can compare it against some sort of arty stuff yeah. and say, I like the arty stuff better. But if you can make something that gets a bit of that feeling in there and is also accessible to people, yeah, uh, I think that's a that's a great feat. Absolutely. So, yeah, no, he's he's definitely one of my favourites. In fact, I was looking at my list of films that I've... So I've, I made a little while ago, I made a little list of films and I wrote them on the wall there, um, things that I want to watch again, just films that have influenced me over the years. Mm. And after I saw this, I was thinking about how great he, he is. His he is as a stylistic director, mm-hmm. and how much I love start you know directors that really have a style, and they you can sense that they're behind behind the camera to yep. to, to a degree. Um, and I went and I started thinking about my list on 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 the wall there, and realized that actually there are very few American directors on there. And that almost all of them are from other parts of the world, and that there's a real sense of they've been they've grown up watching Hollywood films, yeah. and then they filtered it through their own culture and their own sort of style and upbringing, and they've come at it to sort of bring you something that feels like it's part of the Hollywood system to a degree, but it's got this new fresh take on it. And uh, he's one of these guys that does that, you know? Yeah, that, that's great. Mm. They're aware of it all, yeah, but in a, in a slightly self-conscious way. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so they can play with it and do yeah. different things with it rather than thinking it's the only way you can make a film. Yeah, none of, these guys are, none of these guys are making sort of Hollywood films that just feel like they've come straight out of Hollywood. They've got that influence, but they've been twisted. Yeah. It's great. Beautiful. So there were more, more actors in this that mm. are, are relevant to talk about. There was um, Terence Stamp. Yep. So that's that's a pretty big name in there. Good performance, but yeah. the character was fairly forgettable. It was like a red herring. I agree. He was a red herring. He was he, a classic red herring. He was a classic red herring. <laughs> and maybe that's that, maybe that's great. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was meant to be a red herring, and he played that herring. He, he played it perfectly. Yeah. yeah. I, I I think that I think it worked well. I think it was good casting for this one. But you're yeah. right. It's not a standout role for him. I was quite impressed with Michael Ajayo. I can't pronounce his name. Like, even this is a this is a British film, and I'm still stuffing up the names. Brilliant. I thought he looked like a like a um, de-aged Don Cheadle. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can you yeah. see it? Yep, I can see it. <laughs> I can see it. Um, but I thought he was really, really cool. And he was such a nice... It's so nice to have nice characters in in films. And it is. I engaged with him from the get-go. Yep. And he was just a solid, you know, safe foundation for both Eloise and us as an audience. Did you know, though... Oh, you're not going to shatter my dreams. No, no, no. But did you? But just by how nice he was, and the fact that he was getting himself tangled in with this with this woman who was yeah. clearly going off the rails. Bad you, move. You knew he was going to get hurt, right? I mean, I yeah. could see it coming. I was like, this guy, <laughs> this guy, he's got it. He's he's going to be the one that we feel bad for at the end of this because something horrible is going to happen to him. And it but does. he stuck with her. <laughs> yeah. Know, like I, I still, I just really liked him. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It. I totally agree. I think with a, I mean, okay, so genre film, some of these ca- casting choices like mm. Terrence Stamp and and him, mm. you sort of they they play into a, a a whatever a cliche or a trope of the of the genre, yep. and that's fine. You know, it's okay. In fact, it's enjoyable because there's so much else being twisted in this thing. I think it was good. So when you're talking tropes, I guess you're talking about the. Uh, the Terence Stamp red herring. Yes. And then the affable, reliable person that's always there to rescue the damsel in distress. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Who's, who's you know, just a nice guy and he's going to get pulled into this world of, um, you know, women gone crazy because of psychological something or others, <laughs> you know. Well, it was a nice juxtaposition, wasn't it? Because there was... When you, you see her entering London yeah. as this person that we we said we love. Yeah. And within a few minutes, we love her. Yeah. And then she enters this mean, the mean streets of London, and there's all this threat around. And the whole movie has a subtext of how bad blokes are and how yeah. bad they were in the 60s. They were even worse yes. in the 60s. Yes. And, and so not accountable at all. No, not accountable. <laughs> there was no... There was no consequence culture in the, in the 60s. No, that's, that's a whole <laughs> other conversation. But it, that yeah. came that came through and was quite a, this is a tangent, but that was quite a profound, not realisation, but reminder mm. perhaps that, you know, we think of the the swinging 60s and how awesome they, they were. Yeah. But there's a, ba- a bad side, a dark side. Turns out they were quite rapey as well. They're quite rapey. <laughs> yeah. But I liked how it, yeah. how it presented that. Yeah. And it also presented this nice, nice bloke. Yeah. So it didn't, it wasn't a man bashing thing, but it was also presenting the reality. Yeah. Good call. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And there are enough complicated male characters in the film to achieve that, which is great. Because yeah. it could have gone another way. It could have, <clears throat> like you say, it could have painted the men as all a bit sort of sleazy and... It, it doesn't do that. It gives you ma- it gives you male characters to like, and actually, the red herring turns out to be a guy who was trying to help everyone along the whole time. You know, so that twist is, wasn't that bad. No, I thought it was good. I actually liked it because, as as well as Terrence Stamp, you have the younger guy who's mm-hmm. the same, who's the young version of him, who looks like he should be a serial killer. <laughs> He's just got it all over his face. He's a great match for Terrence Stamp, and he then turns out to be a cop. Who mm. you totally understand is a little bit jaded about his his role. Cool. So you got that great the dance sequence. Firstly, yeah, uh, where the the editing was just immaculate, where Doctor Who is is dancing with both <laughs> uh, the witch and Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And yeah. and it's just cut as if it's you know as if he's doing it all in real time. Yeah, it's great. In actuality, he's probably 
performing the same thing twice. I don't know Lots how it's times. done. And they're doing like camera wipes and with his body and other bodies and yeah. who knows? Yeah. Marvel- Very clever. Marvelous feat. They could have stopped there and they would yeah. have had me. Yes. And and everything's happy go lucky at that point. It's a fantasy world for Eloise mm. Thomason at that point. I think it's the second time they they go into she goes into that world and it's clear that she's being sort of sold off to the blokes yeah. by yeah. Doctor Who. Yeah. And there's this wonderful sequence where they they use the 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 lines. Uh, what is it? What's your name, love? And What's then... your name, love? <laughs> yeah. And she she says different names. She says that's a lovely name. Yeah. And it's always a play on Alexandra, which becomes part of the story later on. A nice reveal later on. It's it's yeah. kind of uh, warming us to the fact that her name is Alexandra. Yes. Really. Yeah. And there's different variations of that. But I thought that was a really great sequence of storytelling in we talk about pacing in very mm. short time we went from a fantasy to almost a nightmare mm. yes and that was great uh, did, what did you think it's a great call and it does play on that that wonderful idea that a dream or a fantasy can become a nightmare just with the slight twist of whatever it is, you know, just a slight little twist and suddenly that thing's not fun anymore, you know. Slight turn of the screw. A slight turn of the screw. That's what it is. <laughs> That's what it is. Turn the screw ever so slightly. It ain't fun anymore. And yeah. you really get the sense of that through that sequence. He does he handles that beautifully. Uh, and I think you're always a little suspicious of, of a wonderful situation, you know, like if it's a little too good. You're suspicious. You're watching it going, oh, this is an awesome thing that's happening to this lady. It looks like it's all just falling in place. Oh, okay, I see. It's uh, it's actually, yeah, she's been taken advantage of. It's horrible. <laughs> but in a psychological horror, mm. that feeling of unreality and everything's too good to be true yeah. is something that, you know, mm. is it, it gets you pumped up because you, you know there's some cutting disappointment coming. Yeah. But that feeling when everything's still good, it makes you feel like everything cool yeah. is still to come. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, for, for anyone who's watching this and hasn't seen the film, we've been told that she's she can she has some paranormal psycho yeah, psycho carry like sort yeah, of some yeah. powers of some sort to see dead people, and also that her mum had had a, a nervous break at some point. So we've yep. been set up with all these things. Then you get the dreams and she sees this other girl who was in the room that she was living in and every time she puts the 60s music on, it takes her there or every time she goes to bed at night, it takes her there. And it starts off as like a fantasy, as you're saying, but it very, very quickly becomes a nightmare and a nightmare that she can't escape. It starts to follow her. Her choice of being able to go to that world goes away mm. and next thing you know, she can't distinguish between reality and, and that other world. And the way he handles that that arc of that storyline is so beautiful. It's mm. done so, so well. I think that's maybe why you and I are both responding to the fact that it's got this wonderful pace. It's got this wonderful first probably two acts. Mm. And then it starts to maybe unravel a little bit. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, not too much. Yeah. But because I'd prefer to focus on the good things yeah, that too. we have. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. It, it, it just has this beautiful build. Mm. Um, and when, it, when it's in the psychological thriller genre, it's just wonderful. Yeah. It fails, I think, when it tries to tie the loose ends and make an actual plot storyline mm -hmm. out of it. 
and get a few of the the ghouly thrills in as well. Yeah. But look, through all that, it was still enjoyable, I suppose. Yeah. If not a little ridiculous at times. I, you know, I, I found elements of it quite quite scary when it starts to delve into that horror end of it mm. towards the end. Um, I thought the ghosts, men with no face faces mm. at times that was a really scary thing like it was it was successful what they yes. were doing but then it starts to get little too there's too much of it you see too much of them yeah they're everywhere all of a sudden um, and they almost become a little comic at a certain point because there's just they're just everywhere i stopped being really scared of them at that point and, and also i think you know there's only so much tension you can hold when everywhere your main character's running there's ghosts and things popping up out of out of every seam and dark corner and all that. So yeah. I think it just went a bit long, that 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 section. Maybe if it was a little more condensed and a little more just like let's just keep the best bits of what could happen in this sequence, then maybe it would have been a bit more successful. When it was successful, I think it was an editing triumph. Mm-hmm. Scenes like when she she wakes from a dream goes to the bathroom, tries to recover herself, yep. opens a door, thinks, oh, okay, I'm just dreaming this, closes it again, then opens it again and they're all there again. Yes. That that was that was great. That was yep. sort of early in the transition to yep. horror. I agree. Um, and then as it got deeper into horror and trying to tie loose ends, it, it fell away. You know what I did love in, the, in this mm. sequence is that there were some really great dreams within dream moments it's a little bit like what you're talking about there. Well, I, I can't remember multiple. I can remember one. But yeah. yeah what, what do you think? There were a couple. And one of the reasons they really stood out to me is that uh, on the film that I'm working on, Locked In, yeah. uh, we have been figuring out a couple dream within dream sequences. Yeah. And midway through that, I've gone and seen this film and just gone, oh, well, that's how you do it. That's beautiful. Like it's just done it so well, you know. I can only think of one. You can you, you sort of you're going all Inception now, aren't you? When you yeah. you're, you're in a you're in some other world, then you wake from it. Yeah, you wake, and up. then all of a sudden, oh, hang on, you got to wake from that as well. There's Correct. so many layers. Yes, yeah. But there, there was there was one when she she's in some nightmare, wakes up, and then is confronted with the nightmare. Yes, yeah, yeah that's yeah. cool. So that maneuver is, um, you know, it can be horribly done, but I think it was done really well in this, and so it was like a. For me, it was a little moment of like, okay, just take note of that. That's well done. It was so well done. And the reason why it was well done was because they didn't dwell on it or no. over-explain it. It was like this little almost Easter egg. It was only a few frames, Yeah, the one I'm thinking of, inserted. And yeah. it just gave, gives you a bit of a thrill. Other other parts of the second half of the film, you know, weren't so subtle. Mm. And they, they ex- explained too much and dragged too much. I agree. I know we normally talk about Remind Me of's at the end, but sometimes we put them in the middle. Well, maybe gonna, we're getting to the end. Yeah, we probably should get we should to be the, at the end. end. Yeah. So, but I, let's get into them. I will just mention that this film, in terms of the whole arc of it and the type of film it is, and and these reveals at the end, which mm. I think is what we're we're talking about mostly, really, really reminded me of uh, Vertigo. And ah. that was that's the one, and so, so now I can tell it's not what you were thinking. Is this the one that? We, yeah, no, yeah, I was not thinking okay. of Vertigo. It, so great, I yeah. love it. <laughs> okay, good. Tell me, talk it, to me. It just made me think of Vertigo a lot because, yeah. for for one, the whole thing felt Hitchcockian. You know, the whole yeah. film. Um, it had it had elements of that throughout it all. You've got the mysterious blonde woman who's who's like the you're discovering her backstory through 
you know, and following mm. her as you see her go through a thrill thriller situation where, you know, she'll meet her demise in the end. There's that. You're exciting me here. It's it's, it's less Hitchcockian and yeah. more De Palmerian. All oh, right. Because <laughs> I think Brian De Palma is, is a student of Hitchcock. Yes. So it's it's almost like a, a more modern-day Hitchcock. Yes. But yes, I agree. Yeah. I think with um, Vertigo, you've got that altered that alternate sort of uh personality that yeah. is that is coming back out it, it it's almost like a fated reliving of someone else's past that's gone horribly wrong so it has all yeah. those elements hitchcock's version of that or take of that in, in vertigo is so contained in some ways and it's so controlled mm-hmm. whereas this towards the end feels like it sort of gets a bit too expansive it just goes a bit too crazy no that, that's that's beautiful i hadn't hit, thought of hitchcock at all mm. so that's just, which is unusual because you are normally the hitchcock i'm the guy. hitchcock guy yes normally i am the hitchcock <laughs> yeah. guy correct i'm glad you <laughs> there know there you go yeah yeah if nothing else i'm the hitchcock guy mm-hmm. uh or kubrick hitchcock kubrick lynch <laughs> that's right <laughs> they're the only ones i know bad boys for life michael bay that's your <laughs> right um it's funny you say that that sort of identity type of thing Mm. i thought the high point of the film for me was when the sketch she did with the pink dress and the 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 blonde hair and i think what's his name um da's john don cheadle it's john yes yep uh probably my favorite character in the film i think it was him that interpreted that sketch as a self-portrait yeah and that starts starts making you think oh wow so what what is the relationship between her and Sandy? And I love that ambiguity and trying to work out, okay, what what does this all mean? Yeah. And I felt that was the high point when when all of that is still mysterious. Yes, I agree. And then from there on got less mysterious, got more like just tying it up. Yeah. And not tying it up in a very mysterious way. At one point of the movie, Alex, she looked pregnant. And I told uh, oh, wow. uh, uh, Louise, she was Eloise. a daughter. She was a daughter. Uh, ah. that, that is all the ambiguity. Yeah. We're talking about what is the relationship between this blonde girl and Eloise. And at one point, really, I thought that she, she was a daughter. Did you think of her as the same person at any stage? No, but there was a, like a really mother-daughter relationship, which is mm. the other part that is still a bit of a mystery for me. What is the relationship with a real mother? Mm. They never talk about that, do they? No. Not really. Well, they throw it away a little bit, don't yeah. they? They just sort of introduce the mother figure as a... Quiet, probably what went crazy, but always <laughs> quiet and in the mirror. It's I agree. Yeah, mm. that never really pays off. I mean, they have her at the end just sort of smiling, mm. like, hey, you've done good, girl. <laughs> it never really pays off. Yeah. That's that's such an important line because yeah. so many little things that are thrown out there, like I, I think of that record player moment that I mentioned yes. where that, that felt like a moment mm. that was going to mean something. Yeah. And the mum felt like she was going to mean something. Terence Stamp felt like he was going to mean something. Yeah. Um, even Jacosta. The, the mate, the mean girl. Yeah. She never um, really comes back around, does she? Plays a part, but not any way that you'd remember. This is interesting, isn't it? Because what people tell you over and over again is that every element of your script has to be important. 
if it's not doing something to move the story forward in a really important way, it should be cut. And then mm. sometimes you find if you have a really lean script that actually is like really just focused on a couple characters, then people say, well, there's not enough characters there's, in this world. It needs more. We need some more characters in this world. It's a bit, feels too like ugh, claustrophobic. Yeah. But then they have to be, they can't just be added in. You know what I mean? Like they have to be at the same time still very integral to the story. Yeah. And I think maybe sometimes when you get a really complicated story like this one is, it's hard to pay everything off. That's maybe just a sign of how hard this is. <laughs> you know? I think that's a filmmaker's yeah. response and it's, yeah. it's, it's one worth worth dwelling on because, mm. yeah, imagine you've got that script to work with yeah, and you've got Jocosta yeah. who is the, the mean girlfriend and you're trying to develop and resolve her in a, in a way that is palatable and enjoyable. Mm. When you, you've got so many other things to think about, right. <laughs> and then and then you've got to worry about Jacosta. Yeah, you and know. you're really just trying to build towards this big, this big crazy ending where yeah, you know, the house is going to go on fire, and the ghosts are going to be everywhere, and there's going to be blood all over the walls, and <laughs> no, you know, no, a, a uh, poisoning that goes wrong, and stabbings, and <laughs> yeah, there's a lot in there. There's a lot. Like, this there's is a, a rollicking tale. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so credit, credit yeah. where credit's due. Absolutely. Yeah. One, one more thing. Yeah. She had the opportunity to save the photo with her mom. And, and she didn't. She, did. she didn't take it. She didn't take it. Mm. And that's, that's something also got my attention. Mm. She's letting her mom go. That's yeah. what that's meant to, be, yeah. meant to mean, right? Yeah, that's that surprised me too. I think it was meant to be seen as a positive thing, wasn't it? Like her growing up. Yeah. Whereas I thought it was actually also a little bit callous. Mm, yeah, uh, but but it I, seems I, like that's how you're taking it as well. I I feel it was it was meant to be a positive moment. Yeah, yeah, good call. What what did you think of the film overall, Sal? Like, did I, you? I did like it. I enjoyed it. Well, you did enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, cool. Did it feel Hitchcocky into you? No. <laughs> no. no. Okay, no. good. No. It's just me. Uh, maybe weird. Connection, but the pace reminds me of Moulin Rouge. Oh, the yeah. Rouge? Yeah. The, yeah. The pace was so quick. Oh, yeah. Fast. Yeah, the way that film's cut together yeah. with the music and everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can I can see that. I don't like those films. Baz Luhrmann. Baz Luhrmann. I respect him because, like, mm. they, there's so much involved in them. So, like, mm. I, I cannot, I couldn't say a bad word mm. about him as a filmmaker. He's great, but it's just yeah. not my no, not my you. style. But yeah. you're right, the pace, the way you can have so much mm. happening and yeah. move it along is is wonderful. What do you think of the end credits and the empty streets of London? Oh, can I flip that and just, before we talk about the end credits, because I can't really remember the end credits, because uh, the first time I was drunk, remember? Um, <laughs> but Soho as a location, yeah, um, I think is inspired. Have you been to Soho? No. Have you, Sal? Yeah. I've only been there on a Sunday morning after you know I, I think it gets crazy on saturday night i was there sunday morning and it felt like a film set i felt like i was in vanilla sky you know when tom's cruise is running yeah. down the street yeah, it's yeah. all empty yeah so it was all empty and it felt like a film <laughs> film set and it's such a great location to film but what, what's the end credits maestro um it's just basically why you see the credits and then it cut to empty streets I can vaguely remember that. It's see, I saw it a week ago, and I feel like I wish I wish I'd seen it last night, like you 
well, I saw yeah. it a week ago as well. Yeah. But that, that one's erased from my yeah. memory. And my impression is that it's like it's not empty. There are all the ghosts still around. Mm. Ah. Are they empty 2020 um, streets or are they <laughs> empty 1960s streets? It's, it's, so uh, it's COVID. Let's say 2020 <laughs> COVID empty these streets. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's a bit sad. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. That's 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 Sunday morning in Soho. Yeah. As, as I said, wow. empty streets. I get a bit of a similar feeling in Melbourne here. In I live near Brunswick Street and Smith Street and Fitzroy, and that's how it feels on Sunday. You know, everyone's hungover and they they don't come out until about eleven o'clock. I guess that's on theme with last night in Soho. Like you get a sense of yeah. the film is the night, and that that's the next morning, and she's come out of the dream. That's true. So there is that. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I I have one more reminds me of or one, one more, more reference. But, but hang on, we've just. We haven't even got to the, that segment well, of been, the show. I've been throwing mine in, just sneaky throwing them in. Well, I'm sorry. I think I need to go first because I've got, I've got three or four. Okay, great. So I'm gonna, you, you should go first. I'm going to go first. <laughs> I'm going to start with Cruella, which has also been an episode of ours. Yes. That's not one of yours? No. Good. A young woman who's lost her mum. Yes. Um, dreams to be a designer. Yes. She's a bit of a design prodigy. The film leans on a retro soundtrack. Yes, big time. The the main character gets a transformative haircut. <laughs> uh, she shops at a vintage store. <laughs> that's that's. She great. survives a house fire at the end. Yeah. And oh, there's a wow. character that starts good and ends bad. So Cruella. Incredible. Yes, starts good, ends bad, also discovers herself through Dis- the film. Discovers herself, correct. Yes. Wow, that's, that's, that's a great one. So that's, that's, I'll, I'll stop there. We don't need you've to. You won the award for this episode of the best reminds me of. I might, I might win the top three because I've great. got some other, some other good ones. I think. Great, 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 great. So why don't you go with yeah. the one that I'm sure will be also be on my list? No, no, I don't think it will be because um, it's actually a really specific short story. Oh, okay. And I've spoken about Roald Dahl's adult short stories before. You and bloody Roald Dahl. I know, but there's one of his short stories yep. that reminded me so much of the end of this film. And I actually adapted it or just sort of borrowed from it to make a short film, my very first short film. Wow, okay. And it's about a young man who goes to Bath in the UK. Yep, Austin Country. Oh, Austin Country? Yeah, Jane Austen. Oh, right, um, Austin Country. Right, okay, yeah. Set at least one of her novels really? in Bath. Okay, That's cool. the only way I know it. Great, great. And he ends up spending the night in a little bed and breakfast. Yeah. And... It's a dodgy looking, it's a sort of uncomfortable looking place, like it's very old school. And there's a lot of stuffed animals and creatures around there, lots of taxidermied things. And he just happens, it just happens to be that the old lady that runs this place likes to poison her guests with tea, with, with arsenic in them. Yeah. And he comments on the slight almond taste of his tea <laughs> just before he starts looking around the room and realizing just how many stuffed creatures there are (laughs) and then she starts talking while he's still looking around she starts talking about the previous guests um, and how they're all still here (laughs) and so you realize wow you realize he's going to get it um and that tea is poisoned and just the end of this and that whole reveal with the old landlady yeah who turns out to be the alter ego and you know Massive spoiler alert here, but um, yeah, she's she's Sandy, and 
she's decided to poison her at the end of the film. Just and the way they had the conversation mm. while she's being poisoned was great. So the the old old lady villain routine. Yes. Is yeah. what you're reminded of. Yeah. What did you think of that ending? Like there was one bit that spoiled it for me a little bit that was mm. was very much explaining the joke before it happened. It was when Eloise is rifling through the mail mm. and you see the name Alexandra Collins, I think, on one of the en- one of one of the envelopes. Yeah. And we know very well that Anya Taylor Joy's real name is Alexandra. Yeah. So it kind of it, That's when I realised for sure. Yeah, but exa- exactly, yeah. and I think that's when all the audience would realise. Yeah. yeah. But it, it felt premature. It felt mm. like we're realising before the reveal. Yeah, like you want it to happen during the tea sequence. During the tea sequence, but that's we, when you wanted. That's when you want the ball to drop. Yes, yeah. but we all knew before. Yeah. It was revealed. Yeah, that's and true. And I think that was meant to be like a subtle thing for people yeah. who go back a second watch and say, "Oh, okay, it I was agree. revealed." But it was too obvious for me. Yeah, it was signposted too much. Signposted. It was it was just for too long that you that you they dwelt on that like that letter. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, mm. a bit contrived, but again, we love it. Yes. Yeah. Good reference. Great. Karen. Great. Back to you. Back to me. I'm gonna say, and this is probably my main one, yep. Mulholland Drive. Yep. So I think the the vibe that Lynch Edgar Wright was going for was something like Mulholland Drive. Oh, okay. Yeah, you've yeah. got you've got a young woman, a bit like Corella, a young woman wanting to be to be a star, with stars in her eyes, mm-hmm. and also that that sense of uh, the identity crisis and who is she and yeah. does she have an alter ego and all this this sort of stuff. Yeah. So that is very reminiscent of um, Mulholland Drive. Yeah. And and very specifically, one of the the standout scenes in both films is the audition scene. Mm. So yeah, in this okay. one you've got when Anya, Anya Taylor-Joy, is, she sings, and we, when we realise that she can sing as yeah. an actor, that, that was quite a spellbinding scene and, uh, and it really captures you. However, I think in Mulholland Drive the, the best scene is when Naomi Watts is in an audition and I, I feel like Ed, Edgar Wright's trying to mimic that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, okay. And yeah. I just felt that the Naomi Watts scene is so wonderful <laughs> that I, yeah. even though I liked the Edgar Wright one, I, I just, it failed in comparison. Interesting. I never thought about, I never, the, it, it didn't pop into my head while I was watching it. And I, I think I enjoyed it in this film. But now that you mentioned that, I almost want to go back and watch Marholland Drive again and just see how it sits next to it. Well, I, I think it sits very well, but yeah. I, th- I think the difference is Mulholland Drive, like any of the Lynch stuff, is open, always open-ended yes. and never reveals anything, always lets you go away and have to keep working it out, whereas this one goes a different direction and tries to tie it all up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's its undoing, that it, it tries to tie it up, but it act, that's actually undo, undo, undoes the whole film. Yeah, which is interesting. That's what I was saying earlier a little bit about the these directors that have clearly grown up watching Hollywood films. Mm. They're very influenced by it. Um, they bring their own style and feed it back into new Hollywood films, which have a, a twist to them and are really interesting. But I wonder if, you know, that need to tie it up that way mm. is is a little bit of that's the Hollywood thing that can't be escaped, whereas a guy like Lynch is just never 
given a shit about that at all. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like that's just not something he cares about. Yeah, but you got you got to think. Mm. I think up until halfway, yeah, Edgar Wright had the Lynchian sort of mm. vibe, and it's then just a choice. Do yeah. you try and tie it up or don't you? Yeah, if Lynch tried to tie up everything he puts out there, no, wouldn't maybe work. he'd be crappy. Yeah, no. It so, work. so That's I still right. respect him for trying to yeah. make it accessible. Yeah, yeah, totally. You got anything else for me? No, no. I've I've already uh, put my stuff into the. Throughout it, like I've got nothing left. I think Roald Roll Dahl counts for two. That I'm was tapped a, out. That was a good one. <laughs> well, the Vertigo was my main one. That was the one that I thought, this is my, you know, this one works. This is the one. Well, no, I think they both counted for two. <laughs> so let's say you've got four. So I've, maybe, got, I've got two quickies left. Maybe Sal will shoot, will, will throw one in for me just as like a well, back me up. Sal, did you have any? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. I've got a couple of, I think they're good ones, but I won't dwell on them. One is a 1990s British sitcom yep. series called Goodnight Sweetheart. Have you heard of that? No. No. Um, I think so, no. I had to look it up because I vaguely remembered that the premise is that this bloke, he's in the 90s and he walks into a pub. Yeah. And the pub is in the 1940s. Okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And the, the vibe of it is... Sort of more like the World's End pub or, you know, Hot Fuzz and that sort of vibe. It's sort of comic mm. um, time travelling into an old pub. The, the series feels a little bit Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, but the, the theme of going back in time, yeah, especially going back in time in a night spot, like in a pub, which is yes. kind of what happens, yeah. is very similar. So it just kind of triggered me and yeah. it's thematically very, very similar. I'm I'm sure there's been some Twilight Zone episodes that are mm, along that vein. And the last bonus one is Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, gee, ooh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Maybe that should be should have been my first. That's yeah. Wow. Okay. Explain to me why where where you, how you came to that. I've got some ideas, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. Well, the main idea is the dream reality stuff. So yeah, in Nightmare on Elm Street, it's all about you know your nightmares. Don't go to sleep. Yeah. Because you don't know what's going to bloody happen, and that's where. That's where Thomason ends up. That's she where she does, ends up. Yeah. She does not want to go to sleep because she doesn't want to interact with these with these people. So that's the obvious link. And I think there was one one moment later in the film that suggested to me that that was an actual influence. And that was when Thomason's going up the stairs being chased by the, the old woman. Yes. And the the stairs are turning into glass or, or something like that. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. That yeah. Kind of seemed to play on yeah. a That's... scene I remember from Nightmare on Elm Street where the where the where the feet are sinking into the It's a very Freddy Krueger-y type thing. Where yeah. the world around you starts to play against you as well. Yes. Yeah. I guess that's that's just dreams, isn't it? But particularly done in Nightmare on Elm Street films. Yeah, I could totally see that being a reference. I think it's, it was such an influential series, particularly the first film. That was that was massive in, yeah. in the day. When was that? Like eighties? Must have been. Yeah, it must have been. Eighties, maybe spilling into the nineties. Yeah, I I saw one. I think the first Freddy Krueger film, Nightmare on Elm Street, when I was very young, <laughs> and and I saw them all after that, and it really really influenced me. There was mm. there was something. It was just such a cool cool concept i think more than anything this yeah. idea that you can't fall asleep because when you do he's going to come and get you and there's very little you can do 
except for trying to keep yourself awake. It's a cool idea. It's a great idea. Yeah. And they milked it. Yeah, big time. Yeah. And Johnny Depp was in there. He was. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. First one, yeah. <laughs> Did he get pulled into the bed or the ceiling? He's, he's in the first one. Oh, geez, that's a long time ago. I don't know. I feel like he got sucked into the bed and then blood went, gushed up out of the bed and on onto the ceiling. Or it was the other way around. I'm going to, to bet on pulled into the bed. <laughs> okay, great. And we'll maybe watch that and see <laughs> yes. if we're right. Yeah. Now, there was a TV show, and this is what this is what confused me because I saw all of those as well. There was one episode or a film where these people get stuck in a time loop where they're trying to drive someplace and they just can't ever get there. The road just goes, they just keep looping back to the beginning. And uh, meanwhile, or somewhere else in there, there's a guy doing bench press exercises and then he must have fallen asleep while he was doing it or something, <laughs> which makes no sense. And suddenly Freddy Krueger appears above him and he's pushing the weights down and his elbows explode out the sides. Do you remember that? <laughs> Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger is the worst spotter. Could, <laughs> he's the worst. Could ever imagine. <laughs> always, uh, always worry. Not that I'm lifting weights very often, but I know yeah. what it's like to lift weights. And yep. you've got the spotter and you always, part of your brain is always thinking, I'm really relying on this guy to make sure this doesn't doesn't all go horribly You're sizing wrong. Sizing him up, how reliable? How reliable and strong is this person? How reliable is he? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, yeah. it's Freddy Krueger there, and you've got the, it's going the, the "Am way. I awake?" factor <laughs> yeah. in there. That's wow, great. that's terrifying. I love it. Well, Doc, anything else? No. Also terrifying is that it's the end of the episode. I think we've we've, we've done made this. a dent in it. Yeah, both in our glasses and in this film. Mm-hmm. I really liked it despite some flaws. I think totally you did agree. too. Yeah, I loved it. I actually really enjoyed it and I would recommend it to other people as well. Um, and I wouldn't even mention that I thought there was an issue with the end to them. If I did, no. I'd just say, go see it. I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, agree. Yeah. Sal, same from you. Yeah. I think that's three big thumbs up yeah with some fine print but let's let's forget that <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> okay we'll see you baron see you folks see you maestro see you see you next time Bye. all right oh that's gonna take some cutting <laughs>